Good morning. I'm Sheila Cast. We're on the record. And you believed in the son of an immigrant. A graduate of a two-year college. A US Army combat veteran. And a nonprofit leader who had never run for office before. And it's because you believed that I stand here humbled and ready to become the 63rd governor of the state of Maryland. Here's where it stands. It's, it's just uh, a, a very possible situation with the votes that still need to be counted, that if we pull off about 60 to 65% of those, that we can still pull this race. Very, very, very possible because every vote from here out, That's right. every vote from here out are votes that were mostly cast today. So, but it's, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, this is a difficult race. We're not doing as well as I had hoped in places like Baltimore County. So it's very, very tough. That was Democratic candidate, now Governor-elect Wes Moore, and his Republican opponent Dan Cox addressing their supporters last night. A historic night in Maryland. Voters chose Moore, the first black governor to lead the state, Democrat Anthony Brown, the first black attorney general in Maryland, and Democrat Brooke Learman, the first woman to serve as state comptroller. But Republicans did not walk away empty-handed. Congressman Andy Harris handily held on to the first district congressional seat, and he may no longer be the state's lone Republican in Congress. Republican delegate Neil Parrott holds a small lead over incumbent Democrat David Trone in the 6th District in Western Maryland, but the count of mail-in and provisional ballots is not yet complete. And Republicans are poised to take back leadership of two big counties. Joining me to analyze results this morning is po the politics editor of the Baltimore Banner, John O'Connor. John, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And also with us is Malia Cromer. She directs the Sarah T. Hughes Center for Politics, where she oversees every aspect of the Goucher College poll. Welcome back, Malia. Hi, thanks for having me. So Westmore is the third black governor to be elected in the U.S., the first to be elected in Maryland, and this was Moore's first run for elected office. John, what about his campaign resonated with voters? Why were they willing to take that chance? I mean, I think there was a lot of things uh, that we heard from voters yesterday. Uh, clearly, there were some voters who were very excited to, <clears throat> excuse me, to vote for a black candidate that they thought was finally going to, um, you know, break that barrier in Maryland, who was going to win uh, the governor mansion. Um, I think Moore's message of um, kind of economic prosperity inclusion, you know, his, his, his line of uh, leave no one behind uh, also resonated with a lot of voters. Um, I, I think uh, just as someone who's covered campaigns for a long time, he ran a pretty good campaign too. Uh, he was out there meeting with people all the time. He was uh, accessible to voters, um, you know, just getting out there. To, I think he went to, you know, he made, made a big point of noting he, he'd been to every County in Maryland uh, to talk to voters uh, so I, all of those things w were definitely a factor. Uh, and when you, you know, he's, he's definitely got charisma. It's, it's hard to look at him 
give that speech last night and, and not see, um, you know, someone who, who's, who's very magnetic. And, and uh, you know, I think that's a part of his attraction as well. Malia, what what would you point to as as what made the difference? Sure, I think that Jean did a great job outlining the Westmore side of um, his path to victory, but I think you also can't discount uh, the the factor that uh, the issue with Dan Cox. Uh, Dan Cox won the primary uh, back in Ju- July because of the endorsement of Donald Trump. Uh, it helped him through the primary, but it has been a hindrance on him um, in, uh, since since that primary. Tie, Democrats being able to tie uh, Cox closely together with him, and Cox tying himself very closely together with Donald Trump, aligning himself um, with a MAGA agenda is just not something that Maryland Democrats are comfortable voting for. If you think back to 2018, the reason Hogan was so successful in garnering support from about, about a third of Democrats is because he purposely distanced himself from Donald Trump and really tried to run a more moderate path. Dan Cox was just not the type of Republican that Democrats would be uh, comfortable voting for. And it's exactly what we saw in the um, the final results here. And let me address that hopeful note Dan Cox was sounding last night around 11 p.m. this morning with 99 percent of Election Day precincts counted. Moore holds 59.6 percent to Cox's 37 percent. And this morning, Cox's running mate, Gordana Schifanelli, tweeted congratulations to Moore and his running mate, Aruna Miller. Um, John Governor Larry Hogan's popularity among both Republicans and Democrats did not translate in the primary to support uh, for Republican candidate Kelly Schultz, former secretary of the Maryland Department of Commerce. Schultz lost by about 9 percent of the vote to Cox. What did primary voters like about Dan Cox? I mean, the race, the shorthand for this race was it was a proxy war between uh, the Trump portion of the Republican Party uh, and the more moderate portion of the Republican Party, which in Maryland is, has been represented by Larry Hogan. Um, I, I think the clear answer we got from the primary is that Maryland Republican voters are much more like Republican voters everywhere else than they are, um, you know, some kind of different unique animal. Um, you know, so Cox winning the primary uh, just, I mean, just kind of confirmed that what's what's happening within the Republican Party everywhere else is also happening within the Republican Party in Maryland. And so do you think there's a message that Republican voters will take from these results? John? I can't, I can't speak for them. Um, I think we, we still need to see how things shake out nationally. There's a lot of punditry this morning that what the results of, of races across the country is a repudiation of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I, I'm not ready to say that yet. Um, no. it, I, I, I think it's fair, though, that if, if, if to say that if, if Republicans in Maryland want to win statewide races, they need to pick different candidates. Malia, um, is there an overall message you're picking up from Maryland voters, from the, and especially from the Democrats? Um, I think my overall, uh, I would say the overall message here is that a unified Democratic Party is almost impossible to beat here in the state. And so for Democrats, I think in choosing Westmore, they, they pick somebody who not only could appeal to progressive voters um, in their party, but also win back those sort of moderate and conservative Democrats that voted for Hogan um, somewhat in 2014 and most certainly in 2018. And so I think, again, Westmore's broad-based message uh, 
he came into this, uh, I think he came into November. Uh, our poll back in September showed him that he had about a 53% favorability rating among all Maryland voters. So, again, a broadly po- a popular uh, candidate with a platform that spoke, I think, to different ideological sections of the, of the Maryland electorate. That's the path to victory. John, violent crime was a key midterm voting issue. How, how did this play out in Maryland on the campaign trail? Uh, well, you saw, I mean, you saw both candidates addressing it. Um, Dan Cox ran um, a few ads. Uh, I think they were mostly on the Internet uh, that, that directly went after crime, uh, particularly crime in Baltimore. Uh, but, but uh, you know, and, and that's something you've seen Republican candidates do across the country. But Westmore didn't ignore the issue. Uh, he came at it from the perspective of we're going to beef up uh, probation, pardon and parole services in the state uh, because data tells us that, a lot of this violent crime is being committed by people who uh, are out on parole and, and you know not being properly monitored because Democrats have argued that agency has been underfunded and understaffed under Larry Hogan's administration. Um, so his argument was that you know kind of a, a more robust state government is a way to kind of come in and, and help address some of those issues. This is On the Record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Kast, speaking with the Baltimore Banner's politics editor, John O'Connor, and with Malia Cromer, who heads the Goucher College poll. Um, some wins and potential gains for conservatives. Republican State Delegate Neil Parrott, who's running to represent the 6th District in Congress, is ahead by about 4,500 votes against incumbent Democrat David Trone. Um, this is a rematch of the... 2020 race between these candidates. Malia, what's changed? Well, I mean, I think that this might be uh, an example of somebody being able to run on some anti-Biden sentiment um, and some uh, some issues uh, involving the economy and inflation. Uh, that being said, I think we need to wait to see how, how all the votes shake out. I will say that for the Republicans, I think the, the, the glimmer of hope that this was a chance for a pickup is what happened when Ted Cruz came uh, to speak uh, on behalf of Neil Parrott. You know, folks like Ted Cruz, um, high-profile members of a, a political party, don't just go stump anywhere. And so clearly some internal polling had suggested uh, that, 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 that this race was actually in play for Republicans. And Republican Andy Harris won re-election to the U.S. House in Maryland's first congressional district for his seventh term. Um, Malia, Democrat... Heather Mazier far outraised, fundraised Harris. What what made this an uphill battle for her? Well, that's the the demographics of that district. I, I think there was certainly a hope, you know, back when Democrats um, and Governor Hogan were going back and forth over redistricting, uh, that there was a hope that that district would be drawn with a little bit more Democrats into it. Uh, that was just not the case. And though, although Heather Mazier is a strong candidate, she has some some national connections and some, um, and certainly an ability to fundraise. You can't fundraise yourself out of a, a, a partisan deficit like that. And again, a strong candidate, a good candidate, I think there, at least for her, I think the lasting um, impact, she might not have won, but I think any time a political party can lay some sort of groundwork and build some infrastructure, it's good for the long-term party building. John, talk about the Frederick County executive, Excuse me, the Frederick County executive race. Uh, Republican State Senator Michael Hoff is ahead of Democratic County Councilwoman Jessica Fitzwater, 55 to 44 percent of the vote. 
Yeah, that, that's a really interesting uh, county in general, and, and that plays into the, the the race between David Trone and Neil Parrott too. Um, Frederick went for Biden two years ago, very very narrowly. Um, you know, they had elected a Democratic county executive and Jan Gardner, and and you look at the results yesterday, and they were they that the county went very heavily Republican. It seems like uh, electing uh, Republican county executive uh, Chuck Jenkins, the sheriff there, easily won re-election he's he's a long-term uh, guy he's, he's been there for a while um and uh in frederick county voters uh went for dan cox now obviously he's from the area and has represented the area uh in the state house uh but frederick county definitely took a turn towards republican yesterday uh from where it was trending the last couple of cycles and in Anne Arundel County, um, the Republican challenger, Republican County Councilman Jessica Hare, um, is ahead right now with 54 percent of the votes to incumbent um, Democratic County Executive Stuart Pittman's 46 percent. Anne Arundel County will not begin to count mail-in ballots until tomorrow, and Pittman tweeted this morning that he's confident he'll prevail in the mail-in count. How do you see it, John? Uh, I mean, that one is fascinating. Uh, I, I think that's the most interesting uh, area in Maryland right now. And we really, it's, it's hard to talk about it because they haven't started opening those mail ballots yet. Um, I, you know, the, the mail ballots across the state elsewhere have trended Democratic because um, we know what the, the party registration advantage is in, in the ballots that were sent out and received. Um, I, I suspect that that race is going to close. There's, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to narrow very, very pretty quickly when those mail ballots start getting counted. There's a couple of, uh, state house races in Anne Arundel County that are, um, up for grabs as well and, and likely will be decided again by the mail ballots. A lot of suspense remains. We're going to take a quick break here on the record. John O'Connor is politics editor for the Baltimore Banner. Malia Cromer is associate professor of political science and director of the Sarah T. Hughes Center for Politics at Goucher College. Short break. When we're back, the red wave that wasn't. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Days ago, there were predictions of a red wave of Republican wins. That doesn't appear to be the case. Control of Congress remains unresolved. What happened? We're sorting through midterm results on the record with the Baltimore Banner's political editor, John O'Connor, and the director of the Sarah T. Hughes Center for Politics, creator of the Goucher College poll, Malia Cromer. John, what happened to the red wave? 
I, that's a great question. My initial instinct, I, I have not had a chance to, to dig into exit polls or anything like that uh, yet because I was really busy yesterday. I can't One thing that jumped out at me was um, I saw some data on what folks said was the most important issue to them. And uh, in that, abortion was as nearly as important as the economy and, and inflation. Um, this, this, I mean, that strikes me as um, it's a pretty potent issue for Democrats following the, the Supreme Court decision earlier this year. Um, as, as for other things, I, I think it's, it, it would probably it's going to depend like the, the answer to that question is probably a state by state basis. Right. So why does Pennsylvania Democratic candidate for governor uh, win pretty easily? But uh, John Fetterman, the Democrat for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, much narrower victory. You know, there's a difference in candidates there. There's a difference in positions. Uh, I think a lot of, of what happened is probably going to boil down to, um, you know, differences in these candidates and kind of local local issues as well. Malia, uh, what what issues do you think mostly drove voters to the polls, especially here in Maryland? Well, I mean, here in Maryland, I think certainly when, when we polled on this, uh, things like the economy was a big issue, uh, crime and public safety. Um, we also asked folks, oh, and education was all, um, another uh, issue that was top of Marylanders' minds. You know, we also asked folks about the Supreme Court decision uh, to overturn Roe versus Wade, and it was a motivating factor for voters, but particularly Democratic voters. And I think that's not um, unlike what we saw across the country. I'll say this about the polls and sort of like the building of the red wave and the sort of kind of petering out at the end uh, is, you know, polls basically, I think, showed even with the generic congressional ballot that this was a tightly contested race going back and forth with who was, you know, who had more advantage, Democrats or Republicans. And I just think um, that the folks need to get really sort of comfortable with like looking at quality statewide polling. So not just focusing on the averages all the time um, on the, you know, the aggregators. You know, but if you're interested in, like, how races are going to shake out, watch sort of quality statewide pollsters, um, you know, folks who aren't uh, connected with the campaign, and see how their numbers sort of fluctuate over the course of the campaign. I think a lot of the polls indicated, um, you know, even, for example, for Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, that Shapiro was doing a little bit better than Fetterman, and Fetterman and Oz were going sort of back and forth and back and forth. Let's hear a clip from Republican Dan Cox's daughter and spokesman Patience Faith Cox last night. Casey Nolan, a reporter for WUSA, tweeted a video of her addressing Cox's supporters. It's just a moment for him to gloat. It's a moment for the media to try and prove their fake polls that they made up. So hang tight. They're still counting votes, which means the race is not called yet. And the media does not determine the election. Malia, it was, of course, the AP, which the mainstream press relies on as the arbiter of races, that called the race for Westmore right when the polls closed. The Board of Elections reported very similar results, but that was before the Board of Elections had anything up on its website. Um, The AP makes that their analysis using a massive pre-election survey that the AP conducts. Do you think it undermines faith in the electoral system for this private entity to announce results so quickly? Not when they're correct. Ultimately, no. Uh, so, again, you know, uh, the spokesperson for Cox's campaign can come out and say that and, you know, say fake polls determined by the media. And, 
you know, as somebody who actually conducts public opinion research for a living, um, I, I can say that our polls are most certainly not fake, and we we talk to a whole lot of Marylanders and get their opinions and use um, scientific sampling methodology to do so. And if you look at the results of the Goucher College poll, as well as some um, other polls in the state and the election results here in Maryland, things look really similar. We told, I think, a pretty accurate, took a pretty accurate snapshot of what was going on in September, and I don't think things changed an awful lot from September until November. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Malia Cromer, who heads the Goucher College poll, and the Baltimore Banner's politics editor, John O'Connor. Um, voters in Maryland, Arkansas, Missouri, and North Dakota, North and South Dakota all had a say this election in legalizing recreational marijuana. More than 965,000 Maryland voters uh, approved this constitutional amendment. John, no surprise, right? No, and Malia will tell you this too. Like uh, the the result basically tracked with years and years and years of, of polling data here that it's been really consistent that you know roughly sixty to sixty five percent of Maryland voters favored legalizing recreational uh, marijuana use. Uh, so yeah, it really not a, this is like the least surprising uh, result of the night, but also it's really significant because there's a lot of in addition to. Um, making making use and possession legal. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of things that go on elsewhere to uh, you know help people expunge charges if they were convicted on simple possession. Uh, now the state lawmakers need to go in and, and figure out how to set up a marketplace uh, to to sell these products, how to tax them. So uh, what's that money going to be used for? So there there are a lot of decisions still to come here that that will have a big impact. Um, so it's it's a really significant result, even though. It, it really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Um, Malia, Baltimore City voters approved Question K, restricting the mayor, city council members, and controller to two consecutive terms. Um, how might this shape city leadership? Well, I, I actually, you know, as a political scientist, I can tell you that term limits is something that polls consistently well. But most political scientists um, really uh, are not very supportive of it because what it really does is transfers political power away from elected officials who get their power from the people um, and to like, the, the bureaucracy and to, and to like, outside interests because those are the folks who are going to have the long-term institutional governing knowledge once you remove folks from office who, don't, um, who haven't had the tenure to understand the system. It's good, I think, to have lawmakers with a variety of different um, times in office, start, you know, start, uh, starting points in office and experience in office. Uh, but now Baltimore City will be restricted to just the two terms for the city, uh, city council. And we won't see immediately the impact of that, but we will certainly see it within the next you know, you know, 10 to 16 years. John, city voters also approved question H, which will revert the Baltimore uh, police, uh, revert the Baltimore City Police to a a city agency. It's been a a state agency, so local control. Um, What happens next? Well, this this process has kind of been, it's been in process for a while now. Uh, One of the things that the city couldn't do, for instance, was uh, reapportion the police districts um, but you know, there was a, a bill that went through the state legislature that, that asked the, the city to do that. So they're in the process of doing that now. They just got approved. Um, so you're going to see kind of a, a slow shift of 
uh, handoff from things that are kind of managed by the state right now to the city government itself. Um, you know, this is, I, I think it's going to take its time to figure out exactly how it's going to affect the city. But I think the hope is that the mayor and city council will have kind of more direct influence over the operations of the police department. Um, the background on this debate is some folks thought that, that think that that's a good thing because those folks are directly elected by the people. Other folks worry that, you know, it could mean meddling from, uh, you know, for political purposes by, by city leaders into what the police department is doing. So, um, we're going to find out here uh, over the next couple of months as, as the, the city st- starts working out the details on this. And, John, very briefly, um, do you have a sense of whether in the state legislature Democrats have held on to a veto-proof majority? Uh, it seems like it. Uh, it's it's going to be – it's hard to tell, uh, but it, it, I, there were seats that flipped last night. But for the most part, um, it was it was kind of uh, – you know, Democrats picked up in some areas, but Republicans picked up in others. So it, it doesn't seem like there was any kind of, um, you know, one side picking up a bunch of seats, which would be you know, Republicans picking up a bunch of seats. We got to go. Necessary. We got to go. And I'm grateful to you to you both. John O'Connor is politics editor for the Baltimore Banner. Leah Cromer is an associate professor of political science and director of the Sarah T. Hughes Center for Politics at Goucher College. At the On the Record page, you can find more links to WYPR's continuing coverage of the midterm elections. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us. Come back tomorrow.